Call or text the team line at Appreciate you joining us, Jim, along with Cake today and for the Buckeye boy. Who just could not bring himself to be in here today after the national championship game. No. It was a planned thing from Ed Nothing. I'm just I'm just giving him some grief. Had nothing to do with last night's national championship game. Although this was probably planned as sort of a precautionary measure, you know? Just just to be safe. We like to call it a mental health day. He didn't want to have to come on this morning and deal with talking about Michigan winning a national championship. Exactly. Yeah. So what's your take on last night's game? Michigan was dominant on the ground, 303 yards on the ground. Oof. And they and look, Washington's defense gave up more on the ground in the first half than they had to anybody all season long. And and so that, that says a lot about how good Michigan was last night. And, you know, give Washington credit. They, it wasn't last year's game by any stretch of the imagination. Got it into one score a couple of different times. And then Michigan really pulled away in the fourth quarter. But you, you never really felt, at least I didn't watching it, that Michigan was ever really in trouble. No. That here, here comes Washington. Because when Washington did score... It wasn't with big chunk explosive plays like we're used to seeing from Adunzi and that receiving core and, and right. Michael Bennix Jr. It was like they had they had to earn what they were getting last night. And Michigan made it extremely tough on them last night. And so it just never felt like it was a game that it wasn't feel like it was gonna be a blowout. Didn't feel like that. No. But also you never felt like yeah, Washington's gonna gonna upset the apple cart here and 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 win. So we got a takeaway from last night. Got a few texts. Uh, one from Robert. Let's see, uh, Robert, first text since uh, December twenty second. Happy good. New Year, Robert. Happy New Year, Robert. Good to have you back with us. Was it ever proven that Michigan had used the internet and drones against their opponents? I don't know about the drones part of it. I know there was something that went on with Michigan in terms of some. Something that trying to tap into files and things like that. I don't remember exact. I'm I'm trying to look that up exactly what what transpired with that. That really didn't have anything to do with the Connor Stallions thing, though. No, a a fifty five thousand dollar a year assistant that went on the Central Michigan sideline dressed up as a Central Michigan staffer. Which I'm still. How did he get on the sideline? I'm just right. No, nobody, nobody there because that's uh, what Jim McElwain that was at CSU. That's that's his team. Coaches know other coaches, and they know other people that are around the program. I'm still trying to figure out how he got on the sidelines without somebody going, "Who are you?" Right. 
Okay, yeah, you're wearing our gear, but and are, you are, and you are. Who are you? No, nobody, nobody questioned that, which I still find. I have no idea who that baffling is. Baffling, how he managed to pull that off. You know what? Grifter's gonna grift. <laughs> That's really all there is to it. Let's see, from Marty, Michigan has an insufferable arrogance and almost smug sense of self-entitlement that reminds me of Notre Dame or Penn State in their heyday. I think Georgia would have mopped the floor with them. I don't know. I think Georgia, that would have been a really good game because I think Georgia's defense obviously is better than Washington's. I think it would have been probably a, a more equal matchup. But then Alabama beat Georgia in the SEC title game and... Who did Michigan beat? Right. <laughs> but it probably, I think, in some ways would have been a a, a better matchup because of, of Georgia's defense. Let's see. <laughs> Kenny this morning on the team line, by the way, which is 970-242-1340. Uh, let's see. I'm sorry. Paranoia is a very strong force. Nixon had the 76 election in the bag, but still had to break into the DNC. You know what the other team is going to do or what the pitch is coming is an enormous advantage. You guys are right. Michigan would have won that game last night, just like Nixon and, and the Patriots and the Astros in 17. I don't think so. I don't think they even get to the World Series this year. Happy New Year, guys. It's an advantage. It's, it's an advantage to know what other teams are doing. But as Wyatt Thompson mentioned, and what else, you know, has come out in this the look into what Michigan did in terms of of stealing, stealing signs. Others have done it. Right. And I just think that you, for the most part, you can pick up, you watch film, you can pick up tendencies. The Astros, what they were doing was more at the moment, the banging of the trash cans. Hey, here comes a curveball. Hey, bang, bang. Here comes a slider. That was in the game in the moment. Yes. Where they had a system to give hitters Definitely a, a leg up on the pitchers, no doubt about it. I just think that you look at what happened, and was it necessary? Absolutely not. And just because other schools did it doesn't make it right. But it's just how Michigan approached the whole thing, and that gets back to Marty's text a little bit of there was a yeah we yeah our our, our coach is being unfairly accused here. It's it's us against the world. Nobody wants us to win. Nobody cares about Michigan football. Nobody will, wants us. Stop it. It's a conspiracy because they know we're good and they're trying to stop us. It's that it's that kind of mentality. It's like it's and and to treat Jim Harbaugh like like he said, like he was a political prisoner or he was a saint, a guy who a guy who tragically died. <laughs> a football death. Yes. That Jim Harbaugh was taking supplies to earthquake victims someplace and he died in a <laughs> like Roberto Clemente. It's like, no, he, he got suspended for recruiting violations, which is why I mentioned that's big in his opinion, a bigger deal than the sign stealing stuff. Yeah. I, I just feel like with Michigan that did that help them win last night? Did that help them beat Alabama? They I mean, still, we, they, they for still, now, we don't know. They still had to win games where people had caught them doing it. 
had suspended Harbaugh for it. And obviously, we would like to think we're not trying to pull anything because they're under the microscope. They still went out and <laughs> won the... Of course, they, they had to beat Iowa to win the Big Ten Championship, so let's pump the brakes on that, uh, on how tough... You you don't have you didn't have to steal steal Brian Ferentz's sign no. to stop Iowa. Okay, Iowa <laughs> did that plenty on their own. <laughs> don't it's, disrespect, it's, but it's going to run the football on first down, pick up a yard. Going to run the football on second down, maybe pick up another yard. It's third and eight. Let Deacon Hill throw the ball through a receiver's hands at eight hundred miles an hour because there's there's no touch, none whatsoever. And he's a 6'5", 380-pound quarterback. And he can throw the ball through a brick wall, but he has no touch. And then they punt because they have the Taylor kid who led the nation in punting and set an NCAA record. Good for him. So they didn't have to steal Kirk Ferentz's signs or Brian Ferentz's signs. That was was a pretty much easy one. But then Alabama was not. That was a red-hot Alabama team that had won the SEC championship over Georgia. I uh, got one from Clay this morning. Good morning. Share share with us your thoughts about the draft prospects of McCarthy and Penix after the championship game performances. Penix, if if that game hurt his draft stock, I don't think it hurt it by a lot. He didn't have a great game, but he also didn't have a lot of help. Like his offensive lineman stepped on him at one point. That That's not good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, threw it 51 times, 255, touchdown, couple picks. It wasn't disastrous. I, I still think, I think, the, I think the bigger concern about him was not last night. It's going to be about the, the back-to-back years of knee injuries at Indiana. And he's a little bit of an older quarterback because he played for six years. Let us not forget, he played for six years in college football. Yep. And while not going to be super old. We're going to be at 23, I think. I think that's how old he will be or is. And that's a, a slight concern. I mean, some might say, well, he's going to be more mature. Well, yeah, but also there's less there's less shelf life now as a, as a pro along with, with a potential injury history that you have to consider. I like Michael Penix Jr. I don't know if I would take him the first round because of, not because of last night. I don't, I, Michigan's defense balled out they played great I would be more concerned about those other factors but his ability to get rid of the ball quick um the the deep ball throwing is off the charts I don't know if he's a first round guy last night probably hurt his stock a little bit he'll probably still go in the first round probably but I'm not sure I'd take him the first round JJ McCarthy I you know 140 last night through the air he had 31 yards in the ground. It was 10 of 18. Wasn't, but he also he didn't have to throw it all over the place because they they ran for 303 last right. night. So he didn't need to do that. I can't remember who said it. It was somebody, one of the many talking heads, uh, that said that they think that at some point, it actually it might have even been uh, Kirk Herbstreet. Regardless, said that McCarthy probably needs one more year of college. Absolutely agree. I, I, I think that, yeah, I, I think co- coming out now, probably a mistake for him. I, I just think that there, there needs to, 
you while the resume is impressive, it's like what twenty eight and one or some. It's an ungodly number, and he had a really good year. I just don't know if he's ready for the NFL at this point in time. It doesn't feel like it. Now here's just, just watching him. Here, here would be a twist of wonderful irony. I don't even know if you want to call it irony. Jim Harbaugh gets uh, plucked for an NFL job. And he says, hey, JJ, second round, if you're still there, what do you think, huh? Run it what? back. Run, Run it, it back. back. Come on. Come on. You know you want to. Well, well, here, okay, here's McCarthy's numbers. Completion percentage, really good, 72%. 2,991. 22 touchdowns, four picks. That's that's a good touchdown interception ratio. It's really good. Probably probably a little bit unfair to him that the numbers aren't gaudy, more gaudy because of how well they run the football. Probably not not a fair thing to him. I I just don't Clay. I don't know if I feel like he's ready to go just yet. Still a little raw. I'm I'm with Herb Street on that. I just kind of feel a little bit more like another year would probably probably serve him better in terms of his draft status and and everything. All right, 813. Uh, if you got something you want to comment on today, uh, hit us up on the team line, 970-242-1340. Let's see. I think we got a couple of other texts we want to get to. Got one from uh, Rick Nelson, American Family Insurance. Good morning, Rick. Good game. The better team won the night. It appears Penix had a broken rib or something extremely painful that pretty much took him out of the game. Can't even imagine. Now, he was definitely did not look like he was 100% last night. His line did not play good last night. Uh, let's see. Uh, from Bry Guy, I think if Penix hits a wide open a Dunsey for an early walk-in touchdown, the game is different. That miss was a killer. Also, the, the fourth down play that they, they got stopped on in the second half, that didn't help. Though they did score in the second half on a, on a fourth down play. Let's see from Ruben. Good morning. I'm a lifelong Buffs fan. But seeing those teams play last night makes me realize how huge the gap is between teams like that and the Buffs. We have a long, long, long way to go. Yes. But we're going to get there. I'm hoping. We're hoping that that is the case. All right. It's time. You got to believe, Jim. The latest on the Broncos and the league. It's around the NFL on the Jim Davis Show. I'm trying. I'm also trying to believe in this team, too. The Do you believe now? The Denver Broncos, which yesterday was clean out your locker day over at Dove Valley. Get out the golf clubs and make your travel plans because uh, season's over at 8 and 9. After the loss, of course, they were done before the Raiders game on Sunday. Josie Jewell talking about continuity heading into next season. Who knows what's going to happen with that? And coaches talked about that a little bit. I love the continuity right now that we have with our team, especially with the defense. Um, everybody likes each other, honestly. There's no no d- out there, so that's nice. Um, it's hard to communicate with some of those guys when they are. So everybody loves each other in this locker room, um, and that's what's so great about it. And I think we can build some things, uh, you know, going along to next year. All right, let us hope so. Keep it on the defensive side, Justin Simmons. He was asked if he sees improvement from the Broncos under year one of Sean Payton. Yeah, it, it really does. Um, and I mean, that's that's kind of been my thought process for, you know, the last few seasons. But man, I'm, you know, I'm still hurting from from this one and, and just the way that the season went. But I am I am encouraged. And um, like I said, you know, I don't want to keep over over harping it, but I think it'll be a, a good thing for next year. I remember Greg Dolchich. 
that remember, guy. Remember Big Perb, and he was going to be an impact player at the tight end spot until, well, he can't stay healthy. Here's the Big Perm on the foot injury and what that looks like moving forward. It was weird. It was just like some, of course, it had to happen the week that I was, you know, coming back to practice. Um, just some weird swelling. I, you know, have unfortunately like some bony feet, and then my cleat just kind of irritated it in a really kind of freaky way. And yeah, just it's a bummer. All right, so one thing I guess you can look at from this season, a couple things that you're just going, yeah, it's nice, but Denver still didn't make the playoffs and didn't have a winning record. The offensive line, with the exception of McGlinchey not starting against the Raiders on Sunday, or Cam Fleming had to start because McGlinchey had the rib injury, that that line was pretty much the same unit week in and week out. That's, that, that's a good thing. Also, the Broncos actually healthier than they've been in recent years. Remember every year it seems like there's just tons and tons and tons of injuries. Yeah, it started that way with Tim Patrick and, you know, there, there, were, there were moments at the beginning of the year for sure. But, no, you're right. It, it felt like they were, for the most part, throughout the long term of the season, healthier than they've been in a while. You know, they were still, you know, in, in 2022 – you know, they ended the season with, with, with 23 players on injured reserve. And, you know, you had guys, you know, that like Tim Patrick done for the season. You know, Jonas Griffith, Greg Dolchich, they ended both 2022 and 2023 on the IR. But they were a, a healthier football team for the most part than they've been in recent years, which that, that's a positive. Hopefully that's something that, that rolls into to next year as well. That they they're this still a team that's that's it's being a little bit healthier. Maybe that speaks to the the change in the the conditioning program. Lauren Landau no longer there. They changed to uh, the conditioning and strength coaches were those kind of things maybe were were a positive for the Broncos in, in regard to staying a little bit healthier. So as far as uh, after Black Monday, you've got Arthur Smith, gone, coach of the Atlanta Falcons, which I don't know if you caught this. It was on NFL Network. They have like a FedEx player or coach of the week kind of thing or oh. some kind of re- reference. I think it's like player of the week or something. Arthur Smith's dad is the one that founded FedEx. They're talking about firing Arthur Smith, and the next thing was their FedEx player of the week. And I forgot who it was on Good Morning Football. It's like, I don't know if I feel comfortable with this. We just talked about the guy that founded FedEx's son getting fired. Woof. Ron Rivera, of course, also canned as well. Be gone. Chargers, Panthers also, they're looking for coaches right now as their search begins. I saw the number, and I'm, I'm going to try to see if I can double check. The, the number for Ron Rivera's total coaching record as a head coach in the National Football League. Here it is. Regular season as a head coach, Ron Rivera has won 102 games. He has lost 103. (laughs) And he has tied twice for a overall winning percentage of 498. Okay. We call that... Average yeah, just be, at best. It's the average at best. A guy that coached last night won his first national championship, Jim Harbaugh. He was talking about unfinished business in the NFL. 
after taking the Niners to a Super Bowl and losing to his brother, John. And last year, Harbaugh wanted the Chargers job, but they didn't fire Brandon Staley. Well, that job is now open. Uh-huh. Though Michigan is going to do everything they possibly can, according to reports, to keep Jim Harbaugh in Ann Arbor. All right, A20. Uh, Cody, work coming up in just a moment. Who do we have on the team line? John checking in this morning. Okay. Good morning, John. How are you? I'm good, Jim. It's been a while since I've talked to you. <laughs> well, it's, it's good to have you back with us. Uh, don't don't be a stranger, John. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been quiet this year because there's been a lot of noise about Michigan, and there's been a lot of noise about a lot of things, and I just said, okay, i got to let them play it out. And if I, if I believe what I believe about them is going to happen, then afterwards it's going to be sweet. But I've, I've been listening. I still listen <laughs> on a regular basis. Well, thank you. Uh, Appreciate that. Uh, but uh, but uh, as i got to tell you, as a Michigan Wolverine fan, I'm, I'm over the moon with this national championship. And uh, going through all the years of being with Lloyd Carr at the end when he was not as good, the Rich Rod years, the Brady Hoke years, I mean, and and then a couple of years ago when Jim Harbaugh seemed at his weakest, I mean, uh, and again, however people feel about Michigan or, or, or the things that have been alleged by the by the coaches, you can't take away what those those, those boys did. And I just I've never seen a team. I mean, I I said this is a coach this is a coach bow team, you know, the team, the team, the team. So I just uh, I'm over the moon today about that. So well, I wanted to call in and well, congratulations to you as a Michigan fan. I I know that you wish it wasn't uh, maybe as complicated. As, as far as uh, yeah. with, with everything that's gone on, the Connor Stallion situation, but better team won last night. Michigan was, was just phenomenal, the run game, the way their defense played against Michael Penix Jr. And, and if you're a Michigan fan, you've got to be able to celebrate a championship, uh, even though, it's, yeah. like I said, in just, uh, the circumstances are not ideal, but uh, and, and Jim Harbaugh yeah. and the, acting like that he was a political prisoner, he died saving you know, saving some kids from a swimming pool or something. I, <laughs> that that stuff wore thin on me. Yeah. But the yeah. team itself, give those guys a lot of credit. Blake Corum, J.J. McCarthy, uh, Sanistrill, and those guys on the defensive side. That uh, that was a heck of a performance uh, and a heck of a job by Michigan. And congratulations to you, sir, as a Michigan fan. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. And like I said, it was good to see him get through. You know, I was at the TCU game last year, and I just, it's like, and they and he said, you know, we're going to be back, and they did. And like I said, you know, I, I know for a lot of people this is going to come with an asterisk, but um, uh, you know, for the players and for the fans and and all that, uh, we've they've that proved something. You know, obviously there's going to be fallout and still things that have to be sorted out and figured out. Um, but uh, but what a year for college football! I mean, I mean, you know, and and. You know, I'm I'm still hopeful that Colorado can 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 do some stuff and pull some stuff out because uh, you know it'd be good to see Colorado Buffs get back to, to prominence again. Absolutely. Hey, John, thank you, thank you. Uh, don't be a stranger, like I said. Appreciate you listening. Okay. Uh, bye bye. All right, take care. All right, uh, John, Michigan fan, John, with us this morning. All right, eight twenty three. We need to do triple play records, Stadium Cinema. Know your sports TV shows and movies? Let's play Stadium Cinema on the team. Yes, indeed. Let's play Stadium Cinema for your chance to win the downtown double play with Triple Play. We have a $20 gift certificate to Triple Play Records, as well a Junction Square small antipasto salad from Junction Square Pizza. First correct text on the text line, 970-242-1340, gets the downtown double play with Triple Play for Stadium Cinema today. 
Two characters in this clip are going to introduce an athlete cameo. You are to name that athlete. Okay. There are only two witnesses who are close enough to the crash to see something. One's on his way here already. His name is... The football player? I don't know his hobbies. It just says here he's unemployed. Retired. I'm not getting anything out of him. I'll see my quesadilla. It was a good one. Chicken, cheese, guac. But they forgot my pico de gallo. So that's the guy. That's the guy. Okay. Who is it? I know I know that's Thursday, the but... Uh, Brooklyn... Brooklyn Nine-Nine? The late, late Andre Brower. Yes. Who we sadly lost a few days ago. All right, so first correct answer wins. Once again, if you've won the last two weeks, send it out. Text your answer in now, 970-242-1340. And uh, don't forget, stop by Triple Player Records. Incredible selection of disc golf stuff down there. Matt and Rock play themselves, so they they know the, the, the courses around the area, and they can get you started with the right gear, along with some incredible vinyl and other cool stuff at Triple Player Records. And, of course, small antipasto salad from Junction Square Pizza, 7th and Main. Cody Rourke, our uh, Broncos insider, will join us next, and he's brought to you by Gallagher's Flooring and Modern Classic Motors. Touchdown every morning. Woo! The Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports leader, the team. Talking Broncos with Mile High Sports' Cody Rourke on the Jim Davis Show. Covers the Broncos for... Mile High Sports also hosts the Locked On Broncos podcast. Cody Rourke joins us on the team line. Good morning, Cody. How are you? I'm good, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Feeling better. I know you've been under the weather, my friend, and I'm I'm so sorry to uh, that you you've been uh, battling uh, some things lately uh, from a sickness standpoint. Hope you're doing better. Yeah, no, COVID knocked me on the shelf, so it definitely impacted my last week or so. But I'm just now feeling uh, feeling back to normal, so we're all we're all good to roll. Well, good. Well, I, I appreciate it. I'm glad to see you're you're you're, you're coming off the IR uh, after uh, dealing with with COVID. <laughs> I, I guess just uh, the, the Broncos and the way things finished up with uh, with the game in Las Vegas, it just felt it just felt like a very flat effort by the Broncos. Defense didn't play particularly great. Aiden O'Connell had a really good game, couple touchdown passes. Couldn't stop White in that running game. And then Josh Jacobs was out the injury. And Zaire White played really, really well uh, in terms of uh, that ground game for uh, for Antonio Pierce. I guess just uh, your takeaway from from what you witnessed with the Broncos losing on Sunday in Las Vegas. Yeah, I felt the same way you did. I just, you know, you mentioned the word flat. I felt like that was a great term to kind of come out in it just because, you know, it was 7-7 at one point. Okay, things were interesting, but... Uh, it just it, it didn't seem like a game where it was that like there was it was an inspiring performance you know and not even by the Raiders at that point it was just it, the game seemed dull itself but really Jim I, I felt like the game got away from Denver right after Riley Dixon boomed a punt pinned the Raiders at the two yard line and then the Raiders drove 98 yards down and scored right before halftime like that right there was. I think a little, a little bit of the nail in the coffin here because it was still manageable. Denver still had a really good chance at that point to get some momentum and obviously maybe have a chance to do it. But uh, that was, I think, a defining moment for them in terms of you know their defense. I felt like they kind of just opened the floodgates after that. And then offensively, Denver had no answer for Max Crosby. They had no answer for the pressure. I mean, Jarrett Stidham, and I, and I said this as well, like, it didn't matter if it was Russell Wilson back there. It didn't matter if it was Jarrett Stidham or Peyton Manning. I don't feel like any quarterback would have had success in uh, that game because you, you, 11, 11 times that you're hit, five sacks, nine pressures given up, and 
it's just relentless. Like it was just constant and it was free. Like it wasn't like guys were just, you know, making great moves in terms of their pass rush. It was guys were coming free and it, it altered Jarrett Siddham's ability to stand in the pocket. Um, he's still able to make some nice throws, but overall it just, it was an uninspiring performance from the offense. They couldn't run the ball once again, 48 yards rushing. I mean, Jim, it was, it was an ugly game plan. And unfortunately it was a disappointing way for the team to go out. And, uh, not a lot of Broncos fans are very confident now about the direction of the team after this game. Yeah, Max Crosby definitely impacted what Jared Sidham can do in that game. And, and you know, McGlinchey was out with the rib injury. Cam Fleming got the start. And he could just – Cam Fleming had his hands full with Max Crosby, as, most, as a lot of guys do. But, but, but Fleming really sees shots in the sidelines where he just he looked exasperated in, in trying to slow down Max Crosby. Yeah, and what was a little more baffling to me is that there weren't a lot of times where the Broncos put a tight end over there to really kind of help. It was just, hey, one-on-one, there you go. So that was a little odd to me. And, uh, look, this is a guy who's going to be, in, you know, you're going to be facing him two times a year for the foreseeable future. Denver's going to have to find a way to get better protection on the offensive line, whether that's changing the scheme up a little bit for, you know, these guys. I mean, this was the first game that Denver had this season where their offensive line was different than week one, understandably so. But there's still issues for this team in terms of consistency and pass protection, but also they're, you know, not being able to get the run game going. Run blocking has been a consistent issue for this team all season long. I mean, Denver didn't even have a single 100-yard rusher this year, Jim. That is so disappointing when you look at it, and it makes no sense. So for me, it's... This offensive line is going to be what it is. Now, there could be changes. I think, obviously, you know, there could be changes to left tackle, possibly, depending on what the Broncos want to do financially after they're set to move on from Russ here in March. But then there's also, do you extend Lloyd Cushenberry? So will the Broncos' offensive line get better if they make a couple of changes or add a couple of guys? I mean, I don't know. But the fact that they have not been able to run the ball successfully this season Jim is a huge issue in my opinion, and I think it's something that will hold this offense back regardless of who they get at quarterback if they can't fix the issue. And I guess my question is, is Cushenberry and Bowles the problem? Because certainly Mike McGlinchey, as much money as they spent on Mike McGlinchey, okay but not great. Ben Powers, okay but not great. Quinn Miners has probably been their best offensive lineman you know, week in and week out. It just feels like that yeah, but not that not that I'm a Garrett Bowles apologist because I'm certainly not, but it just seems like there's more there's more problems here than just Garrett Bowles or Lloyd Cushenberry on that offensive line. Yeah, and, and to be honest with you, I feel like Garrett has actually had a very solid season for the Broncos this year. Like, there's been moments where obviously he's had a penalty called against him. People got to realize that's going to happen to offensive linemen. Yeah, you know, I think I think everyone's like, oh, it's NLP on the offensive line. Oh, it's Garrett Bowles. And the reality is, like, that position, of course, you're going to be in line to be called for penalties, sometimes more often than not, because it's the offense, everybody's watching it. Uh, but Garrett wasn't bad this season for Denver, and Cush wasn't bad for Denver this season either, which, I mean, that's also the thing. is like, does Cush want to come back to Denver? I mean, he's set to become a free agent. I'm sure there's going to be some teams out there that may have some interest in him. And, uh it's very, very interesting to see where this trajectory is going to go because, to be honest with you, I have no idea, Jim, where Denver is headed and what things are going to look like for them. But I don't think that Cush was the problem. I don't think that Miners was really the problem. I think that they just had too many inconsistent areas in terms of performance on the offensive line, and that, to me, I think was the problem overall. So our Broncos report with Cody Rourke with us today on the Team Sports Network. 
yeah, it just you're right. It's hard to get a sense of what direction this team is going, and the situation with Russell Wilson obviously now creates a lot of a lot of indecision at the quarterback spot. Where you think, where you thought at least you know not that long ago, okay, quarterback spot has been addressed with with Russell Wilson, and and it's built around Russell Wilson. It's improved the 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 areas that need to be improved on this football team. But now it's you know reset button. Let's let's see who's gonna be the next quarterback. The how this has played out with Russell Wilson and they asking him to defer the guarantee and those kind of things. What kind of impact does that have on potential free agents? Not just necessarily quarterbacks, Cody, but but potential free agents coming in, maybe not liking the way the Broncos have treated uh, Russell Wilson, this whole thing. What kind of negative impact, or is there really a negative impact when it comes to free agency and how this situation has played out? Um, you know, I think there could be a negative impact, right? I think it just depends on who Denver has interest in. Because, look, I, and there were even some players in Denver's locker room, Jim, that, you know, were not happy with how things went, with how Russ was treated and how things went with the benching, things like that. Um, but, look, that's going to be that's going to happen in a locker room. Like, there's going to be guys that don't like it. There's going to be guys that are, like, it doesn't bother me. Like, it is what it is. That's the case here in Denver's situation. Now, I think if you're a player, you have to obviously keep in mind, well, hey, if they're going to ask that of Russell Wilson, uh, you know, obviously with all of his accomplishments that he's had, with obviously the money that he's making, who's to say they're not going to ask me to do that at some point down the road, right? That's going to have to be in the back of your mind, and that's obviously something that agents are talking to potential players about. And, uh, you know, so much of it is, okay, understanding deeper situations. Like, this was a unique situation. Like, obviously, Sean Payton inherited Russell Wilson, Gave it a go for a year, and throughout the year realized, hey, I just don't think this is going to be what I want to work with going forward, right? And Sean has every right to feel that way, has every right to, to go about that. And now Denver's in a position where they're going to be in the quarterback carousel once again. And everyone's already thrown out their theories on who the quarterback should be. But the reality is Denver's going to have to figure out the, the, the financial ramifications of this. We don't know exactly what it's going to be just yet, especially if another team signs Russell Wilson. That could help Denver out. We don't know what the salary cap's going to be officially next year yet. Yeah, we won't know that for you know probably another couple of you know month and a half or something at that point. But um, free agents are definitely keeping an eye on that, and I definitely think it's going to be an area that impacts Denver because Sean Payton does have a perception about him, and a lot of people know, hey, Sean Payton is old school. So it depends on what players want to come to Denver. Um, do they want to deal with that, and do they want to be part of that? Do they want to deal with the maybe? The situation where they ask him, "Hey, we're going to ask, have to ask you restructure your contract, or else." I don't know. Like, it's a little bit of a turnoff for a lot of players. We're talking with Cody Rorick of Mile High Sports on the Jim Davis Show today. Cody, kind of dovetailing off of the conversation about the quarterback spot next year. Ben DiNucci signed a futures contract. Uh, obviously, we think Russell Wilson's probably gone next year. What's kind of the future for Jarrett Stidham? Do you think he? maybe comes back next year as another as as a backup again or is there even a slim chance he comes back and is named the starter for 2024 yeah no i think right now if we had to look at it today i think that there's a good chance that stidham is the starter week one in 2024 you know i think so much depends on what happens with the 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 russell wilson contract and also you know where's denver at in terms of quarterback i I do not think that they're going to sign a quarterback in free agency. It wouldn't make as much sense right now if they spent money on Jarrett Stidham. I don't know if they would go and spend, uh, you know, uh, more money on a quarterback position here. 
in the offseason at free agency, though they could, and it could be just maybe a year, right? Because if their vision for Stidham was, hey, we think you're going to be the backup here, we obviously need a practice squad quarterback, that's where Danucci comes into play. Um, you know, does Denver sign maybe if Jameis Winston's free? You know, does, do they do that type of move there? I, I'm not sure um, where they go, but I would say that there's a pretty good chance Stidham could be the starter week one, and it could be Stidham and Danucci. And they could draft a quarterback, and they could have a young guy develop for a year and then maybe take over in 2025. If I had to guess, I would say that's probably the more likely route in this situation. Doesn't it feel though like they, they have to do something? They have to they have to draft a quarterback if they have to make a move there. Well, it depends on how they feel about a guy, right? If they feel like you know, if there's a quarterback they feel like can really elevate them, that's great. And I and I think that this is what we saw in the national championship game last night, Jim. I think is a great example of the point I'm about to make here. Is you know, Michael Penix Jr. is a guy that everyone in Broncos country has fallen a lot fallen in love with, right? right? And then now. Because of last night's performance, now they're like, we don't want Penix. But I think the context of the situation is, look at Penix all season long. When he was lighting it up, he wasn't getting hit. He wasn't getting pressured at the rate he was last night on national television. And it just goes to show that the environment around you is important, right? And I look at a situation, I think it was a great simulation, by the way. Like for Michael Penix Jr., if the Broncos are giving up the pressure that they're giving up against the Raiders on Sunday, if Penix was the quarterback, he wasn't going to have success, right? So is a quarterback that Denver is maybe interested in taking, are they coming into an environment that will help them find success? I don't. That, that to me, I think, is where the bigger questions come in about offensive line consistency because that has been an issue all year for Denver, regardless of Russ or regardless of Jared Stidham. And it's unrealistic, in my opinion, for a rookie quarterback to come in be under duress at that rate and have success. We haven't seen players do it. It's not something that's very common. You look even Patrick Mahomes this year, when he's been hit and flustered, he hasn't had a great year himself either because some of the pieces around him haven't been necessarily the greatest. So can Denver somehow, before the NFL draft, build a sustainable and I would say, you know, good enough environment for a quarterback to be able to sit in the pocket and throw? I don't, like, that's the goal in my opinion. Um, for me, at least in this situation, Jim. But, yeah, I think that they should look at quarterback if, in fact, the quarterback is the guy that they're very high on. But but you're right, though. It gets back to what we talked about with inability to run the football. You know, they had the 169 against the Browns. And then after that, they the final six games, they only averaged 3.3 yards per carry. They were 20th in the league in, you know, the in the EPA, the expected points added, and the per-rush metric. They... They they ran for 48 yards against the Raiders on Sunday. And it's not like the, the Raiders have the, the number one run defense in the National Football League. It's It does get back to where you can be unhappy about how Russ was treated, and I, I don't like the way they treated him, and I, I still think it's a mistake how they're approaching this. But it, regardless if it's Russ or Stidham or, or whoever you plug in there, that until the offensive line becomes better at pass protection and, and run blocking – it doesn't matter who you throw in there. The results are unfortunately going to be the same. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, look, as much as we get into mock drafts and fans are like, get this quarterback, get this quarterback, you know, put the pieces around the quarterback. Or, like, if you like a guy in the draft, let's say, Jim, and you get your guy, what are you going to do to make sure that you protect that investment, that you build around that investment, right? And, and Sean Payton, I think, said something interesting as well about 
you know, in this post-game press conference following the Raiders game, they talked about, you know, how the offense is evolving. He said, the offense goes based on who you have and, and what you have. And that's where I think so much of this focus, the offseason is going to be, is I think everyone recognizes it wasn't good enough and you need more production out of your skill players. You need to have a run game. What's contingent upon that? Is it is it a running back issue? Is it offensive line issue? Is it a scheme issue? Like, And if it is those things, you identify those problems, and now you make those changes because you can't go in and doing the same exact thing and hoping things are going to change. That's where I think that the Broncos' focus is really going to be aimed at this offseason, and I think so much of it is going to be scheme relative. I think based on the personnel changes that they may uh, experience here, how do they adjust a little bit? I'll be very, very curious to see what Denver decides to do here. They'll pick 12th now. Who would you like to see them take at this moment? I mean, that's obviously going to change a lot between now and the draft, but is there, even if it's just an area, who who do you think would be a good fit, a good addition at, at number 12? Well, you know, this is going to be unpopular, but I've, like, I've been on the consistent Bo Nix train all, 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 I mean, pretty much since the last few months, like, hey, Bo Nix would be a great addition here for Denver. I think he'd be a good system fit for what Sean Payton wants to do, wants to run, very efficient in terms of pocket passer, um, completion percentage, unbelievable. Uh, on top of that, you know, looking at quarterbacks, I think right now that's probably going to be the biggest need, but I also wouldn't be pressed if they look for a cornerback, to be honest with you, Jim. Like what we saw on Sunday, I mean, opposite of Patrick Sertan, once again, the Broncos just haven't had a consistent enough presence there at cornerback opposite of him, and they gave up a lot of big chunk plays in Sunday's game. They've given up some chunk plays opposite of him in that Houston game, which Denver needed to win. And I don't know, it's it's tough, right? Because I, I'm not a big believer. Like my philosophy, I don't think you draft draft your biggest need. I think you address your biggest need in other areas. Now, as we talk about quarterback, well, I think it's a little different, right? If there's a guy you feel like you can build around for years to come, then I think that's the one instance you can draft based on need. But if it's any other position besides that, I don't think you draft based on need. I think you draft your best player available and you address your other needs in free agency. So uh, for me, I think it's quarterback first, and my selection would be Bo Nix. You mentioned cornerback. They have one of the best in the league. He's a pro bowler and Patrick Sertan the second. Um, you know, has a, he has a season and a fifth-year option still in his rookie deal. Down the road, the Broncos can be able to afford to keep him because if he hits the open market, we're talking maybe 20, 24 to $27 million annually for a guy like Patrick Sertan the second. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I mean, the market will change more than likely in the next year or so. I think Sertan, whenever he's up for a deal, will reset the market. Uh, will that be with the Broncos? I I don't know. Like, this is a great question because how the Broncos navigate this potential Russell Wilson contract, dead dead money, salary cap stuff is going to be interesting. Is this something where you go to, to Rob Walton and you say, hey, uh, you know, we need something here. You know, can you help us out? I mean, I, I don't know what Denver's plan is going to be because obviously he's a great player. You drafted him. You want to bring him, you know, bring him into the mix going forward. I mean, the Broncos, I can tell you this, do view him as a cornerstone franchise player. Can you afford to keep him when this contract is up? As a different question. I think if you do an extension, obviously you can make it to where, okay, hey, your first two or three years are very, very manageable in terms of what you're paying him and in terms of the production that you're getting and obviously the salary cap hit. You can do some restructuring along the way. I mean, I think it's possible. 
Um, but I don't know. I mean, that's generally a, 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 probably one of the great unknown questions at this point here, Jim, about the future of the Broncos that is approaching. All right. One final one before we let you go. And don't forget uh, Cody's uh, last report of the season, 420 today, here on uh, the Team Sports Network. Will Jim Harbaugh be coaching in the NFL this coming season? <laughs> oh, wow. That's a great question. You know, I think if he would have lost yesterday, I felt like yes. But now that he's won, he's got all the leverage in potential negotiations now with Michigan. So um, I don't know. This is tough. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. I'm going to go with the, against the grain here. I don't think he's going to be coaching the NFL. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the way you do. The Chargers job's open. He wanted the Chargers job. Now that's a that's a vacancy. But I yeah I I, I just kind of feel like I don't know that he's he loves the way the adulation he gets at Ann Arbor. Now that he's won a national championship, it's going to even be stronger. So yeah, I, I tend to think he'll he'll stick around to add Michigan. Hey Cody, glad you're feeling better. Appreciate it, my friend. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys. Have a good one. Go Tigers. All right, Cody Rourke, My Life Sports, Locked On Broncos podcast. Our Broncos. Insider. All right, 846. Do we have a winner, by the way, for Triple Play Record Stadium Cinema? Yes, we do. Okay. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the contest. It's another winner on the Team Sports Network. Kyle correctly answering Marshawn Lynch, the uh, athlete who made the cameo at the uh, end of that episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. All right, congratulations to him. We will take a break. We'll come back. Just a couple categories today for pole dancing. We'll dive into that next right here on the Jim Davis Show on the Team Sports Network. Who do I listen to? The Jim Davis Show on Colorado's sports leader. Whoever suggested that has got to be smoking crack and plenty of it. The Team. We got it together, didn't we? All right, coming to the stage, it's Amber. Remember, everybody, $14 Comic-Con. Let me ask you a question. Do I make you horny, baby? Do I? I mean, really, when you really sit and think about it, isn't it really, really nice? Get those dollar bills out. It's time for pole dancing. All right, it's time for pole dancing today. Just a couple categories. Top five NFL and our top five best college football national championship games. The games themselves. The games themselves. So... Start out with the NFL as we head into Super Wild Card Weekend. It's not just Wild Card Weekend. It's Super Wild Card Weekend. Super. And we start out. I'll just go through my five, then you go through your five. Okay. At number five for me, I've got the Buckeye Boys Cleveland Browns. Solid defense. Number one defense in the league. Joe Flacco's been red hot making big plays. Like the way that defense is playing. I've got the Browns as my number five team. My number four team is the Detroit Lions, your champions of the NFC North. Can they win in the wild card round? Because they have never won in the wild card round. Can this weekend be the weekend that the fighting knee biters and Dan Campbell, Jared Goff and company get it done? I have them number four, though. I have the Cowboys number three. They haven't been great on the road, but, man, they are good at Gerald World. And Dak Prescott's having one of the, the best seasons of his career. Yeah. I have the Cowboys number three. I have the Niners number two. And then my top team's Baltimore Ravens. So your top your top two seeds, duh. Duh. Baltimore in the AFC, Niners in the NFC. 
those are my top two teams. Yours and my lists are nearly identical with one glaring exception. Because uh, I have the Browns at five, Lions at four, Niners at two, Ravens at one. My number three team, though, Buffalo Bills. Thought about the Bills. The way they've come on as of late, that's not a bad bad choice at all. And I'm, look, unless and until the Cowboys do something in the playoffs, I don't trust them. I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. I know Dak Prescott's always oh, having such a great season. Okay, great. Do something in the playoffs. Talk oh, to me then. We, we will find out. <laughs> We will find out. All right, moving on to what do you think of the best college football championship games of all time? I've got Notre Dame, Alabama from 1973. Hello. Yes, going way back in the time machine. But for this one, back, 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 back. back. Notre Dame wins at 24-23. First meeting between these two-storied programs. Notre Dame holds off the Crimson Tide when the Sugar Bowl finished undefeated where he had Eric Parsegian at Notre Dame, Bear Bryant in Alabama. I mean, you talk about historic programs playing for the first time, two historic Hall of Fame coaches. Game was played on New Year's Eve. Incredible game where uh, we had Richard Todd would go on to quarterback in the NFL. Todd, 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 Todd. But uh, Tom Clements was your Sugar Bowl MVP. He threw a 36-yard touchdown pass to lead Notre Dame to victory. So that's my my number five game. Number four is Miami and Nebraska from 1984, playing for the national championship as well. So you have those two that squared off in, in 1984, a, a historic matchup where it um, kind of launched the the beginning of, of Miami's run as a, a national champion. Move along here a little bit quicker. Uh, number three, Clemson, Alabama from 2017. Ohio State, Miami, the overtime game from 2003. Vince Young, Matt Leinert, Texas, USC from 06. Texas winning the game. The Rose Bowl, incredible battle. Those are my five. My five, pretty similar. Not quite, though. We got number five, Clemson, Alabama from 2017. Then uh, number four was the year before. The Alabama Clemson first time in 2016. Bama, Georgia from 2018 uh, that went into overtime, that 26 23 game. Number two for me is Ohio State and Miami from 2003. And number one for me, like yours, USC, Texas. I mean, Incredible that game. game. That's that, I think you could argue, is not just the best college football championship game, best college football game, period. I mean, Texas wins at 41-38. It's interesting, though. Vince Young, Matt Leinert, neither went on to have great pro careers. They were very... Well, Leinert's was, I think, markedly worse. Because Young had some promise. Young, I mean, Young had some, some a couple of decent seasons, but for the most part, though, ne- neither guy really lived up to what... What the hype was. What they, they thought was going to be. He had Reggie Bush in that game as well. Gave him back his Heisman. Yeah. Just give it back to him. Come okay. on. All right. That's uh, pole dancing. Coming up next hour, it's Mav Day brought to you by Colorado Coffee, uh, Cra- Colorado Craft Coffee and Beer. So that's coming up next hour, Mav Day with Taylor Wagner and uh, Mike DeGeorge. So uh, make sure you stick around for that. Also, four down territory and this day in sports history next hour as well. All right. So uh, text or call us on the uh, team line today, 970-242-1340. Thoughts on last night's national championship game. Avs get a win on the shootout last night. Hour three coming.